Thank you all for tuning in to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey, the Josh Terry Podcast, brought to you by Raising Grace Studios. Shout out to Nobles Networking, one of our local sponsors with internet. Um, Mr. William over at Williams Tire in Danville, thank you for everything you do for us, big fella over there. Uh, Red Circle, my management company, you guys are awesome. Thanks for putting some change in my pocket and all the corporate sponsors that are a part of the show. Uh, everybody knows how I feel about my law enforcement officers and what they do and the sacrifices they've made. And we've had some on the show. And today we've got someone who is a former officer that uh, I believe with all this good stuff he's got going on now and his previous experience in law enforcement, this is fixing to be a really good show. Uh, you've seen him on TikTok having a good time, making a lot of women excited from what I can see from his shit. Uh, He's got a, he, he's definitely unique and I like this cat already. I'd like to introduce y'all to Mr. Jesse Miller, if you don't already know who he is. And uh, y'all probably know him on social media as Deputy 547. How you doing, big fella? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good. Did I mess up any of that? No, man, you got it right. I mean, especially the women part, right? <laughs> Dude, uh, I have no idea how uh, some of y'all keep up with it. My fat ass, it, I get a lot of it. And there's, so I know what you get. It's, it's, it's hard, man. I mean, when I first started, you know, it was kind of overwhelming because it was new to me. Right. And I ended up having to turn off the notifications for TikTok and Instagram because I was getting so many messages and stuff. And, you know, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, I don't think that I'm hot shit or nothing, you know, so I, it's, it's all kind of new to me and I don't understand all of the attention that I'm getting, but, you know, I'm here for it. You know, it's kind of helping me out in other ways. So. Oh, trust me. I, I know, I don't know what always it helps you out, but I know what always it helps me out. And, uh, I am very grateful for some of them thirsty ass women. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it kind of the confidence boost, right. And it's like, you know, Hey, you know, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of how I look or whatever, but you know, if they're into it and that's what they like to see, well, I'm not going to deny them. <laughs> Bro, they make you feel good about yourself. It don't matter if you are five two or you are seven two. It don't matter if you're three hundred and fifty thousand pounds or if you're one twenty soaking wet. There's some women out there that like you, and they are the best things in the world, dude. Yeah, I mean, and I get, I you know, I get women, I get dudes, I you know, I get all this sort of you know appreciation and stuff, you know, and it's not all you know because I'm they think I'm cute or nothing. You know, a lot of times it's because they appreciate the fact that I'm, I'm real and sincere, you know, cause I used to do a lot of TikTok lives. Like every day I get off work, um, you know, I jump on live real quick and you know, that's why a lot of people followed me. They said is they, they appreciated that I wasn't trying to bullshit them and you know, and I am who I am. Right. <laughs> and people are so tired of fake and the longer TikTok goes on, the more you can see who's fake and who's not like it's just, there's some people that I've had to, unfollow or whatever because all of a sudden you see they're a one-trick pony and it's just you know especially around the election part last year you really got to see people whenever trump uh lost however you want to say it that uh people just didn't know what to do afterwards and now you know they're floundering they're fine they don't know what to do man yep yep exactly and you know lucky you know i i started back in oh october of 19 and honestly, I wasn't even going to do it. I had downloaded the app before. I'd made like one video, but I never posted it. And then this buddy of mine, uh, he was trying to convince me to do it. And I was like, nah. And then so finally I did. And within a week, I had, you know, like 20,000 followers or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. 
Yeah, it definitely – I didn't start till November of last year. I swore up and down I'd never, ever have it. But uh, when I got fired in September from Country Radio, I decided to open up my own studio and everything. And I had hired some girls to do my, all my marketing on social media and stuff for me. And I realized that they were not creative and they were kind of dumbasses. And uh, I could come up with funnier shit to put on there in a minute clip. And next thing you know, you got a couple thousand people following you and then a hundred thousand people following you. It's a, uh, it's weird. It's weird, but I'm very appreciative for it of a, a kid's app that has blown up and made me a little bit of money. Right. And that's, and that's how I see it. You know, you get a lot of these people and all they want is the followers. And if that's, what's going to make you happy, that validation, then, you know, good for you, you know, but then, you know, for like you or me, I'm using it, you know, it's a way to reach out to people and get them like, Hey, like I have this service I can provide for you or whatever. So. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's the case with the group of people that I'm friends with. They're not posting stuff for follows or just people to like them. Usually it's business oriented when they post something or something to, to promote your brand or just promote who you are that reinforces your brand. And you know, that people that actually get that, they understand what marketing and branding is all about. A lot of people on, on TikTok, though, are just whatever social media platform. They don't give a shit about what it is unless it's, you know, they just want the likes. And that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm, you know, it's like, look, I, I you know, I went from making maybe taking home like $2,000 a month, living in a $300 apartment with no heat when I was working in law enforcement to now you know, my apartment alone, which, you know, I kind of regret moving into such a nice apartment, you know, started making money. And now like the rent, every time it comes due, I'm like, God damn it. Uh, I don't need that. But you know, it's, you know, now I'm living, you know, in the bougie area kind of near like the suburbs of Chicago. And, uh, you know, my apartment alone is like $2,000 a month, you know, whatever. And it's because I took the time to be like, Hey, look, I can use this to my advantage, you know, and I'm not, and, you know, like you said, you know, it's like, I'm not selling out. Like I'm, I'm not out there to make followers. Otherwise I'd be posting videos every single day, all day long. Right. You know, it's like, I post them whenever I feel like I need to. So. Yeah. Uh, what you just said is very troubling to me though. Chicago's got one of the highest crime rates in the nation and you're a police officer working there and making two grand a month and are around two. Grand well, I'm, I'm originally from Missouri. Okay. So where were you a just police officer here. at? Okay. Yeah, I was I was a police officer in Missouri. Okay, well, I was going to say, if you are living in a like in that area of Chicago, making that much money, you've got to have a target on your back. Yeah, no, I just, yeah, I, I, I grew up in, uh, you know, the rural Missouri. Um, and the first two places I worked, or the only two places I worked, I guess, but um, one was a real small town. And then my hometown uh, was about 18,000 people. It's a college town. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I didn't really do my research on Illinois before I moved here. I just knew I wanted something different to move out this way. And, uh, then I like, whenever I started hearing about all the gun laws they had and stuff, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, you got you know, to, you there's, even... pe there's people capping each other left and right in Chicago. Well, yeah. And luckily, like I said, though, I live in kind of the, where, what my issue here is I live where all the snobs are, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. And I, like I said, I didn't do the research when I moved here. And then I, you know, I hear all, you know, the hate they have kind of towards cops and stuff around here. I'm like, good Lord. And you can't even, 
you can't even like discipline your kids like can't give your kids a spanking or anything or you go to jail is what i've heard <laughs> i know i know a lot of people knock this out because we have a very ugly history well let me tell you something when it comes to manners and how we treat our police officers our first responders our military uh, just everybody even the people that's different than us the South's where it's at. I, I don't care what anybody says. That like there, you wouldn't get away with if you told me I couldn't discipline my child, I'd probably discipline your ass. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, no, I, I know how I was raised. You know, it's like if I did something real bad, you know, I was gonna get my ass whipped. And here, you know, I see these kids acting like crazy. I'm like, well, why don't you know they need their ass beat? And they're like, No, you can't do that here. And I'm like, What? <laughs> they're like, Yeah, the kids will call the cops on you and you'll get in trouble. If you'd have told my grandpa that if he whooped my ass that I was going to call the cops on him, he'd have told you, go ahead and call them before I start, and maybe they'll get here before I finish. Yeah, no, whenever I was a police officer, you know, and I get called, to, you know, I didn't, didn't happen that often, but every now and then you get a kid that, you know, was causing ruckus at home, and they called us for some reason. They'd be like, well, I don't want to spank my kid because I don't want to go to jail. I'm like, I will sit here while you spank your kid. I don't care. Like, you're being a parent. Don't beat your child. But, you know, if they need a swat on the ass or, you know, whatever, then give it to them. <laughs> I mean, you have to. I mean, it sounds like you were raised a lot like I was. And let me tell you, if you're not disciplined and you're not learned and you don't learn a lot of hard lessons as a child, you become a very shitty and entitled adult. And nobody wants to deal with those people. Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, um, my stepdad, well, th my mom and him never got married and they're not together now, but my youngest brother is, uh, that's his dad. Um, but he was a doctor and he and I butted heads a lot, especially when I was younger because they met when I was like a third grade and I was a problem child in the office every day, getting kicked out of school at third grade, you know? And so we butted heads and it, as time went on, I realized, man, this guy's just trying to turn me into a responsible human being. And so now he and I get along great, you know, and I consider him like my second dad, you know, and, but at first that's not the way I thought it was going to go, but you know, I'm, I'm thankful for him. Like bottom of my heart. One of the worst people I thought I knew growing up was my high school baseball coach. Uh, I thought he was the biggest asshole on this planet. And I have looking back now, I'm 33 years old. So I've been out of high school a hot ass minute, but he taught us more lessons about being an adult by tough love and the things he made us do and the things he said to us, telling us things we didn't need to, or didn't want to hear, but needed to hear and the way that he just pushed us. There's more lessons he taught me than probably anybody else. And you, you're grateful looking back at it. The older you get, the people that were actually hard on you. And those are the people that wanted you to succeed and didn't just want you to have a handout the rest of your life. Yeah. Because if they didn't care, they wouldn't say that. You know, yeah. and, you know, I'm one of my biggest role models is my uncle. He's a real nose of the grindstone, you know, like I'll have a beer and have fun after the work is done kind of guy. And he is not shy about shoving a true sandwich down my throat. You know, like he'll he'll tell me what's up, but then he'll also be like, you know, I'm here for you. If you need help doing it, I'm here for you, but you need to wake the fuck up. <laughs> Best people in the world. Without, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Well, uh, let's get into some of your backstory there, Mr. Jesse. Uh, so how long were you a police officer? I was only a police officer for like two and a half years. Um, I had worked in a jail for two years prior to, to that, almost three years. Um, see, my parents, they became cops um, 
when I was younger, probably like third or fourth grade. Well, no, probably about fourth or fifth grade. And um, they all went through the academy together. My mom, my dad, and my uh, ex-stepdad, my youngest brother's dad. And um, my mom and, my, and him, they uh, became reserve canine units for the county. And so all of, their, all of their time and all of the money they spent on training the dogs and stuff was all volunteer and provided by them. Um, and then my dad, he became a deputy in the area. And I tell you what, he's the best cop that I've ever met. I mean, he's got the nose of a bloodhound. He can find drugs. He sniffs it out. He can tell if you're lying. And it's funny because my dad, he's not a very big guy. I mean, my dad's like 5'3", probably 130 pounds. Like, he's not very big. Um, but, I mean, when I started working at the jail and stuff, um, I'd get inmates all the time be like, are you Mike Miller's kid? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, man, your dad's a real cool guy. You know, I respect the hell out of him and whatnot. And he busted me all the time is what I got you know, and my dad's still a cop now. He doesn't work there anymore. But uh, no, I, uh, so I started at the jail, you know, and at first I was kind of nervous about it because I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been in that kind of setting before. And uh, it wasn't long. I, you know, I got the hang of it and I noticed my personality started to change. You know, uh, I was kind of guy, you know, I'd date these girls and I'd be, you know, Mr. Nice guy, like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and they'd scream at me, whatever. And I'd just sit there and tuck my tail. Well, it didn't take very long where I'd be like, you know what? I work with assholes. I'm surrounded by them all day. I'm not coming home to one. So you better watch your attitude. You might have and... just became my best friend. <laughs> I'm not that's, here for it, man. <laughs> that's fucking great. No, that's, that's great. I love it. And uh, no, and it was cool because, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a mean guy or anything. And I'm not huge or anything. I'm about 5'10", 170 pounds. But, you know, when you get the respect of, like, the inmates and stuff, um, you know, I'd go in there and watch football games with them. And, you know, as long as the pod wasn't too crowded, you know, so I could, like, have my back to the wall or something. But, um, you know, I'd go in there, you know, and just talk to them, whatever. And, uh, you know, I got offered a supervisor position at one point. I, I decided not to take it. Um, you know, and then uh, I decided that I wanted to take it further and go into a police academy. Um, honestly, I had thought about it before, but then this one guy, he's like, uh, he was like, Hey man, I'm going to do this. You should do it with me. I was like, Oh sure. Why not? Right. Well, he ended up bailing out. And so, uh, the police Academy was actually at Missouri Western state university in St. Joseph, Missouri, which is two and a half hours from where I was living. So I, I moved down there for six months while I was in the Academy, um, and stayed with my aunt and uncle. And, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a great experience. I mean, I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, and before I did that, um, when I knew I was going to be going to the Academy, I was working at the jail from 5 AM to 5 PM. And then as soon as I clocked off, I'd go to pizza hut and I waited tables till 11 PM at night, you know, like I was doing what I had to do. And, uh, at any rate, yeah, I went, I went down to the Academy. I was down there for six months. Uh, ended up sitting down next to a, a fella that I was like, there's no way this guy's going to make it out of the Academy. I mean, he had such a baby face and he just looked like so innocent and stuff. I was like, there's no way. Well, then he opened his mouth and he's a sarcastic, you know, like, I mean, yeah, he's a country boy that don't take no shit and he's a good shot and all that. And so he and I ended up becoming best friends. And, uh, he's, he was from a little town called Bethany, Missouri. And, uh, he convinced me, he's like, Hey man, they're hiring here and they'll pay for your Academy. If you go, you know, if you sign up for them. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. Why not? So that's where my first job was, was Bethany, Missouri. Um, it's right there on I 35, um, about an hour North of Kansas city. Um, and 
it was great at first, you know, cause I like, uh, I was there, I had my, that guy who I went through the Academy with, you know, was there and he and I were good friends. Well, then I got a roommate who also went through the Academy with us and he was a deputy sheriff in that County. So all three of us went to the same Academy together. Well, you know, as time went on, you know, I started just kind of getting a bad vibe of the place. You know, I just, something wasn't sitting well with me and all they cared about was talking about their mowing businesses they had on the side and farming and cars. And man, I'm, I'm not that dude. I couldn't tell you how to fix a car. I couldn't, you know, I'm just not that guy. Right. I'm the same way. I'm the same damn way, dude. I don't know anything about them. Yeah. And so I was like, whatever. And, you know, I, well, the way I was raised, I lived with a doctor. Right. And, uh, you know, we always just had everybody pay for, our, you know, like to work on our stuff. So I just, something I never learned. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, and then I, I ran into, I had some really awesome times there, you know, I was stopping cars left and right. I was finding drugs and that, that was my thing. I loved finding drugs, you know, and cars and stuff. Um, you know, but there, there were incidences there that, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of like, uh, one day we got called to a domestic and it was me and the guy, my roommate, and this guy, you know, he's 22 year old and he acted like he was 22, right? I was like 27. And uh, anyways, got called to domestic. I show up there and it's this drunk guy and there's no reason this guy needed to go to jail, right? He was just upset. He was just drunk, whatever. And I was trying to deescalate the situation. Well, my roommate shows up, you know, and he's in his tactical vest and all that kind of stuff. And the guy's like, hey, I don't, I don't want that guy here. Like, I'll talk to you, but can he stay over there kind of near his patrol car, you know, because like it's kind of aggressive, whatever. And I was like, hey, no problem. Well, I was trying to get him to understand what this guy, you know, I didn't want to take this guy to jail or anything. I just wanted him to leave. And so I asked my roommate, you know, hey, man, why don't you go back over there? You know, it's cool. I got this handle. Just kind of sit back. We decided to argue with me and then he started arguing with the guy and started getting him all riled up. And finally I was like, dude, you need to knock it off. And he's like, I'm just going to leave then. I said, fine, go like whatever. And so he did, you know, he left and I ended up deescalating the situation, you know, got it all handled, whatever. And, uh, what, what was he know, doing wanting to come in there like Rambo and arrest the guy just because he wanted yeah, to arrest he just, somebody? This guy was obviously drunk and stuff, and this guy's sitting here arguing with him. It's like, dude, don't argue with him. You're not going to get anywhere. It's just going to, you know, cause – it's going to make the, the situation worse, right? And so he and I had actually been eating at a restaurant uh, when the call came out, you know, it was like because they're trying to get lunch. And uh, he had my – he's he had uh, grabbed my food and put it in a box before he came out, right? And uh, when I got back to the office, my food was sitting outside on the pavement. What an I know, asshole. I know, right? But that the guy who um, we had dealt with, he ended up. I guess there was like some sort of message board or something, and he messaged my chief and had told him like that. You know, I had handled it correctly. You know, and he was very, you know, respected me all that stuff. And my chief was like, "Yeah," and, and my chief watched the body cam footage, and he's like, "You know, I really appreciate the way you handled that, and especially when you had that other officer creating problems." I'm like, yeah. So but, uh, let me ask you. Uh, Cause like, like uh, we talked about before, you're no longer in law enforcement. You have a new job now being a life coach. Uh, mm. Did you, did you get the feel from that guy or just any guy in particular that when they came in gung ho like that, that they were just on a power trip and not really abuse the badge, but wanted to use the full power of the badge every time. Oh yeah, dude. I can't, I cannot stand the officers that when they put on that badge, their chest puffs out and all of a sudden they're Billy badass, you know, it's like, dude, you know, and like I said, that's why people, 
you know, enjoy like my TikToks and stuff. I'm real. I'm the same person either way, you know, and I learned a lot from my dad, you know, it's like you, you know, if somebody wants to be civil and respectful with me, you know, while I'm on the job, you know, I'll treat them exactly the same way. But if you want to be a punk or be a douche, you know, I can show you how it's done, you know, right. You know, and well, that's it, just the way it is. As a former officer, do you believe that it is your job when you pull somebody over or you get a call out somewhere were you the officer that was like, okay, somebody has to go to jail because I'm coming to do this. Or was your always like your yeah. mindset, let's escalate, let's deescalate the situation first and only take them to jail if it's completely necessary. That one, okay. that one, my, my, my goal every day, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your orientation is. I don't care, you know, what your political views are. I don't care anything about that. Everybody's going home today. That's, that's the goal. But if you, if you force me to take you to jail, you know, and, you know, it's like people saying, um, you know, like, oh, uh, this cop pulled me over for going five over. And it's like, yeah, he can do that. He could pull you over for going one over because the speed limit is the speed limit, you know. Yeah. And now are they going to do that? Probably not, you know. And then people are like, oh, well, they wrote me a ticket for going one mile of a speed limit. I doubt it. You know, I doubt that they're going to take the time to do that and then go to court on their day off you know no i doubt it they don't they don't even in georgia give you a ticket for 10 over no and yeah you know and i i was like when i first started if i thought somebody deserved a ticket i wrote the ticket and i and i wrote a lot of tickets but by the time i got done i was like i was hardly ever writing tickets i was like man people make mistakes i get it no big deal but if you want to be a douche and argue with me about it then here's your ticket like you see, like one one of the reasons why I advocate for police officers as much as I do before uh, this before this show when I was working the radio or now, is because I was a troublemaker from like the age of eighteen to twenty two. Like I've been to a detention center for sixty and ninety days. Like I was just not a good person. I've never had a bad police officer. Anytime an officer has got my ass for anything, is because I deserve it. I cannot stand when you have these people now, like you just said, if you're going a mile over, uh, over the speed limit, you should expect to get pulled over and get treated a certain way. Like just be nice to the officer. I can't stand yeah. all these people that break the fucking law and then they want to blame the police officers for it. Yeah. Now are there officers out there that are kind of douchebags? Yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, what people seem to forget is that they are human beings, right? And a lot of times, you know, I mean, sometimes they're just an asshole, right? But we don't know what's been going on. We don't know what they've seen. You know, like when people are, you know, they talk about me being a cop and why I left and stuff. And it's like, you know, did you pull up on, you know, have you ever dealt with a situation where you got this 17-year-old kid that decided life wasn't worth living anymore and the back of his head is in the back of his car? No. So don't tell me what I should do or how I should feel or nothing because you weren't there. You don't get it. Yeah. And you think you do. But and when, until you see it and you're like, man, that's, you know, that, it's just tough. Yeah, that <laughs> aggravates the shit out of me. You have all these people that want to be like just complete smart asses on social media or whatever and always defund the police or fuck the police, whatever. But what they don't realize is if they wanted to make a change, they would be the ones going to the academy. Or they would realize that they've never been in that situation to where you have to make a decision right then to where you're going home or they're going to jail or whatever. Like yeah. people don't realize that shit, but they want to talk about it. Yeah. And it's, and it does, it happens so 
fast and you and you do you have to make a split second decision and you know what they teach in the, you know people they'd ask me all these sorts of questions uh, you know about specific laws and stuff and at the time I might be like I don't know but I'll let you know when I figure it out and they'd be like you're a cop how do you not know that and I'm like you know how many laws there are like you want me to keep track of all of them and I don't deal with everything you know I could go somebody can go their whole career without ever having to deal with a murder until the last day and you think they're going to know exactly how to handle that situation no they're not no. they're not going to know well and, and what people forget is y'all are humans like you're, you're you're a human being you're doing the same thing living your everyday life that they are except I had a guy that was a I guess you would call him a correction officer when I was in trouble before and he told me the only thing that was different between me and the officers or the correctional officers was that I got caught from my mistakes and they didn't. Everybody fucks up. It's just maybe not the severity of the fuck ups that I had, but everybody right. makes mistakes and you just got to be able to, you got to be a good person at the end of the day. Yeah. And well, another thing people don't get, especially if you're in a relationship with a law enforcement officer and stuff or a family member of one is they have their own everyday problems that are stressing them the fuck out. Well, then they have to put that on pause while they're working and they deal with everybody else's problems, even if it's the stupidest thing you'd ever heard of. And so when they get home, they don't necessarily want to deal with their problems. You know, they want to relax. They want to chill out. And so when you're coming at them, like with all of your bullshit too, they're going to get a little pissy, right? Or they're not going to want to talk about it with you, right? They want people that understand and get it. So that's why a lot of relationships with officers, they know they don't work out too well. Yeah, and there's nothing in this world that is more violent than a woman who is dating a police officer and they see somebody talking shit about police officers on social media. That is mm -hmm. the scariest women on this planet. With all the people that is within TIFA or whatever organizations that do not like cops, if you ever run across a cop mom or a cop wife or girlfriend – they're going to whoop your ass way before the cop does. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I just, I don't know that, that first place I worked, like I said, you know, like I was a new, you know, I was a rookie, right. I was there for a year, like exactly a year. And I started getting kind of fed up with it because anytime I had a question or something, I'd call my chief or I tried to call my Sergeant first, you know, cause you got to do the chain of command thing. And if he didn't answer me, I'd call my chief. And I get my ass chewed for asking the question. I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, I've not done this for 50 years. So, like, help me out here, you know. And so, on top of that, and the fact that I wasn't really, like, you know, I didn't have a whole lot in common with these guys and stuff. Um, and, I, like I said, I just got a bad vibe. There was, like, an officer there that everyone in the county knew. But he just, like, at one point he said, he's, you know, and he always tried to make me feel like I was, like, really small, right? You know, like, because I didn't know, you know, a lot. But one day he asked me, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, you're searching a car. You see a cell phone laying there in the seat. Do you go through it? I said, no. And he's like, why? And I said, because you need a warrant. You know, you, unless they say, yeah, you can go through my phone. You can't go through it. And he goes, nope. He's like, I go through that phone every time because you never know what you're going to find. And I'm like, but you can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, your case and everything will get thrown out. Like, you, you know, and what if they catch you? You know, whatever. Well, I decided that I was going to go back home. Right. I was going to go work for the county that I, you know, my parents had worked for and I, you know, I wanted to go there, but I knew the sheriff there was kind of an asshole. And so I was like, I can deal with it for a year until election time. It's not a big deal. Right. Um, and when like, right the day that I was going to tell my chief that I was going to go back home, somebody else, I'm assuming my roommate and his big mouth 
um, had told him prior to, and he comes up to me and he was livid and he was so mad that I was leaving. And at one point he said, you know, well, if anyone calls me and asks me to hire you, I'm going to tell them no. And, and there was no reason for it. I was like one of the most productive officers they had. I wasn't the best officer because, you know, I'm still new, whatever. But I was out there stopping cars. I was, you know, getting bus. I was making cases. Like everything was good. So there was no reason to do that, right? So anyways, I moved back to my hometown, became a deputy sheriff there. Um, and not long after that, it came to light that the sheriff um, of the county I was just in and that one deputy were up to some shady shit. Oh, and shit. they ended up getting investigated by the FBI. And the sheriff there ended up killing himself over it. My fuck. Yeah. So I'm like, hmm, guess I was right. <laughs> was uh was the county that you came from, was it like the good old boy system? Like was it like the small town, country town type of thing to where like down here we call it like Dixie Mafia, just where the same people have ran the county forever, it feels like, and you got the same people in and out of law enforcement. Uh, good. Some of them are really good people, uh, but some of them just – there's a couple of them that think that they run the county. Yeah, yeah. It's 100% like that, 100%. And it's, it's you know, like, there was – you know, there everyone thinks that law enforcement's black and white. No, there's a lot of gray, but there was a lot of gray there. You know, like, there were officers – I mean, like I said, my buddy still works there, and – He's a hell of an officer, you know, I trust that guy with my life, you know, and then, you know, everyone else that currently works there, I had no problems with, but, you know, those two guys was enough for me to like, I didn't know that that stuff was going on, but I knew that that guy wasn't, you know, good juju, right? And everyone in the county knew him, everybody loved him. Well, now they realize, oh, you know, maybe he was kind of shady because I don't, I don't know the specific details on it, like, had stuff to do with like evidence and drugs and that kind of stuff, but it, it usually um, does. There's somebody fattening in their pockets. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially that's, that's what it boiled down to, you know, and I was glad I got out of there when I did, because, you know, I had no idea that stuff was going on, but you know, uh, I moved back to my hometown and uh, my, there were some deputies there that had worked with my dad when my dad had worked there and, you know, they were good friends of his. And one of them in particular, you know, he took me under his wing, you know, He'd call me or ask me to come out to his house and we'd go out there and drink some beer and listen to country music. And he was giving me advice and stuff all the time. And, you know, he's, he's a smart ass guy, but he was kind of like that other deputy where everyone in the County knew him and loved him, but he was different because this guy is actually like a good dude. Right. I mean, he would do anything for anybody and he's not into that shady shit. Um, you know, and one day he said, you know, well, you're part of my family now. So I got your back and all that kind of stuff. Right. It was just a different feel. And, uh, but the sheriff there, you know, he's nobody liked him. He was an arrogant son of a bitch. And the sergeant there, you know, his second in command, he just, you know, again, arrogant, you know, just he, I don't know. I just not a fan. And uh, honestly, so my, my, my buddy, like I said, you know, that was the deputy that everybody knew and loved in the area. Um, you know, he was like the best cop they got there. And the sheriff was like not giving him the promotions that he deserved, you know, and it came to light after the sheriff, uh, you know, uh, left that the sheriff the whole time was trying to find ways to fire him. And there was no need to do it. Like he was just, and nobody, like I said, nobody liked the sheriff, like at all. Just because he didn't like old dude. Yeah. Yeah. Because 
I mean, and again, everybody else knew him and loved him. And <clears throat> he's a huge asset to have because he knows everybody in the county. So if something bad goes down, Jason hears about it, right? And uh, so anyways, um, yeah, it just got to the point where I just wasn't happy with it, um, the whole situation. Um, like I was getting extra punishments. It was like they were trying to keep their thumb on me and hold me down and stuff. And it'd be one thing if I was the only one that said that, but everybody noticed it. You know, everybody could see it. Everybody noticed it. When I ended up leaving, I had nothing but support from my coworkers who I'm still friends with, right? And like I said, you know, um, when I left the, and the new sheriff came in, they wanted to hire me back. You know, it wasn't a me problem. It was yeah. what I was dealing with. You know, like one day, just as an example, one day, a couple of deputies and I, we uh, got called in the sheriff's office because um, we had these activity logs we had to fill out just so he knew that we were making our stops and all that stuff. Well, apparently we had put some stuff in the wrong columns or something, you know, it wasn't a big deal. The other deputies got talked to, I got screamed at, and he kept calling me by my dad's name. And he and my dad hate each other, by the way. That's what it was. And, that, that's what it was yeah. the whole time. <clears throat> and then he took me out to the hallway, and there's an article up on the that he had framed in the hallway on like 14 things your supervisor wants you to know. And I had to do a high school book report on that article due on his desk by Monday. Oh, he got told to kiss my fat ass. Yeah. Well, I was a rookie and I needed a job, so I didn't. Oh, get well, to do that. yeah, yeah. I get, I get, I get that. I get that. So, I mean, and that's just one example. It was just constantly to where, I mean, I didn't want to be in the office at all. I didn't want to go to work. I just, I just hated it, man. Do you and think I got sick of it. Ever, do you think, uh, let's just say, uh, I think you're doing very well from what, uh, what I've been told about your life coaching business. Um, but do you think if something ever happened and it kind of, you know, fell short that you would go back into law enforcement? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd consider it, um, you know, because, well, I mean, I'm kind of like, I've been flirting around with it, you know, if I want to keep my, my post certification up to date and stuff, you know, which, you know, it's halfway through the year, I, you know, I got to get on it, you know, if I want to do, which you don't have to, I mean, it's like you, it's like 24 hours a year, I think is what it is that you have to have or something. So it's not that big a deal of extra training. So if I wanted to keep it up, you know, I could go back. Um, and especially like if I were to want to go back to that area, you know, yeah. like, where I know those people and stuff, you know, it wouldn't be, I don't think it'd be that big of a problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I got sick of it. And um, so I, I moved there and started working there in, oh, let's see, was it July of 2019? So October of 2019 is when I started getting the TikTok and they were not fans of it. You know, everyone was giving me shit about it. That's and what I, I was wasn't about doing to ask anything. you. Yeah, and I wasn't doing anything while I was on duty or nothing. You know, I wasn't going live on duty or anything. Um, but then my when my sheriff found out, he was so mad because he was upset that I had the name Deputy 547. And I said, he's like, you don't see a problem with that? I said, no. I was like, you don't own the number 547, right? Because that was my badge number. And I told him about all the money I was raising for um, – the local autism center and all this other stuff. And he's like, Oh, okay, well keep up the good work then. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, you know, but everybody gave me shit for it, whatnot. But as time went on, uh, December of 2020, I ended up leaving and it's, it's kind of a, 
weird, funny kind of way on how I was able to finally get out of there. <laughs> um, because a, a lot of people like the older generation, they don't understand. How, how old are you now? Twenty nine. Okay, so you're you're close enough. Uh, they just don't understand it. Like we we view social media differently. Like is I think they still think it's a joke. My my granddaddy. He does not understand what the hell I do for a living. He didn't understand how when I was working in radio, how I made money. And he definitely doesn't understand this. And I just don't think that folks that are older than us, I don't think they get what all social media, if you're doing it the right way, what it can do to help others, what it can do to help yourself. It's just fun. Some of it's fun. Yeah. And I had that conversation with them a couple times. I had to like, be like, look, there's a generational gap between us. Right. Like, cause I ended up getting in trouble for this like minor thing. Uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you what it was. Um, I was friends with this chick and she was always talking about her brother and how he's always getting in trouble and she's worried about whether he was dead or alive. Right. Well, I got put to go pick up this guy from another jail and it turned out to be her brother. So I sent her a Snapchat and just said, hey, just so you know, your brother's safe. You know, he'll, he'll be in Adair County. Just heads up, right? Well, this girl had wanted to uh, have a relationship with me, and I had turned her down, right? Ooh. And so she was like, hey, can you send me a picture of him? Because, you know, like, I haven't seen him in a long time, whatever. And I was like, no. And she's like, please. And I was like, fine. So I did, and she screenshot it. And then she sent it to my sheriff. Oh. And so – they were like, oh, my God, why would you do that? And I was like, first of all, it's it's not violating any anybody's rights or anything, you know, whatever. It's his family, you know, it's whatever. It's, it's public knowledge that he's arrested. You know, it's not a big deal. And, and they're like, well, why couldn't you just, like, text her or call her? And I said, Snapchatting is like texting and calling. It's the same thing, right? And so because of that, it saved me from getting fired. They're like, okay, well, we realize there's a generational gap here and whatever. Just don't do that again. I'm like, okay. Right. I mean, I still got in trouble. They actually made me go back on FTO. What's the FTO? I, I, they made me go back uh, to having a field training officer, like where uh, I was babysat uh, for a whole month. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you know, and everybody there thought it was stupid, you know, that they made me do that, you know, because it's like it doesn't affect how I do the job. But they're going to make me go back and do that again. OK, whatever. But um, at any rate. Yeah. I mean, and it, it is like people don't understand, you know, like it's I, I, I don't know. And like I said, I wasn't posting anything while I was on duty, while I was working or nothing. And I don't, I don't know how some cops get away with some of the shit they post. Like some of them are brave as hell, I would think. Yeah, because you see a lot of them, they'll they'll do that, and then all of a sudden, all their stuff's gone, and they say, "Hey, I can't post in uniform anymore because somebody complains or or they get caught or whatever," you know. Yeah, that's. I don't know. I've seen some that looks like they crossed the line. I'm all about people having freedom of speech, being able to do whatever. If you're a police officer, it's part of it's more than just part of your life. It, it it is your life. So I understand why some people want to post in their uniform and everything. But there's yeah. there's there's some of them that just they go a little far for me. Yeah, some of them do go a little far. You know, I mean there's there's a line between humanizing the badge and like taking it like a little too far right you know yeah. uh, one of the big questions i want to ask you and i think we've got up to kind of this time period anyway um when i first started the show i had these two african-american officers that came in here they wanted to be remained anonymous because of everything but they wanted to talk about what it was like at the time of 
you know, having Antifa, the BLM, all that stuff and everything. Did you ever have to encounter anything with Antifa or anything along those lines or any hate because you are a police officer on social media or does any garbage like that? Uh, on social media, I'd get stuff. And the way I handle social media stuff, if somebody comes at me, I just block them. That's and then people are like, well, what do I do? They keep making new block them, ignore them. Who cares? Right. And so, you know, you get, and what's stupid is you go and you look at the people that are making these comments and they're like 15 year old kids or whatever. And they don't have any videos or the videos are really stupid and they're in their bio. It's all BLM and all that kind of stuff, you know, whatever. Do I agree that, yeah, every life matters. And I understand the importance of the black lives matter. It's because of, you know, the shit they've been through and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I get it. Right. You yeah. know, and more power to you, you know, I support that, whatever, but you know, that doesn't give you a free pass on shit. Right. No, it doesn't. No, no. And, and, and it and, seems like you're smart they, enough to, you're smart enough to realize too, that there's a difference between <clears throat> saying black lives matter and the actual black lives matter movement. There's a huge yeah. fucking difference. Yeah, there is. It's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not that they're more important than anybody else. It's, you know, like I, I get it. I see their struggle, whatever, you know, and I support you do your thing, whatever. But if you're doing stupid shit, you're going to win stupid prizes. Right. And so, but I never, where I grew up and where I was working at, it wasn't a big deal, but whenever those uh, riots first happened um, over, what was his name? George Floyd. Yeah. Um, there was one night I was working with this other deputy <clears throat> and uh, he's about my age. He and I are friends and we got a call that um, from dispatch that there was uh, potentially a couple buses full of rioters coming from Columbia and they were coming up and they were going to start raising hell where we lived. Well, <clears throat> I thought as my job as a officer of the community or whatever to keep people safe. Right. So I posted on my Facebook like, hey, just a heads up, you know, just be on the lookout. If stuff starts going down, you know, don't you know, don't mess with it. Stay inside, whatever. Well, somebody told my sergeant that I posted that or sent it to him or whatever. And he called me and chewed my ass for doing that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, I ended up talking to the sheriff and the sheriff's like, if those people show up, you and uh, my, the other deputy are to stay in the County. You're not to help out. And it was because we, there was a uh, black lives matter, uh, like protest, like, you know, peaceful protest in town and the police department apparently didn't uh, coordinate with the sheriff. So he's pissed off. So if they were in trouble and stuff, we were not to go help them. Ah, got you. It was yeah, big, and big measuring competition between the two of them. <clears throat> yeah. And me and the other deputy are like, we're like, that's not okay. You know, if, stuff, yeah. if shit really starts going down, we're going in. Like, yeah. But they ended up not even showing up. But they usually um, don't. They, unless it's a big city, they usually don't. And it's, and it's all stupid. A lot of times I think what they're doing, first of all, if you look at it and I saw this, I don't remember if it was TikTok or what, this guy had a really good point. You know, they're destroying their homes and their neighborhoods. Right. And then the insurance companies are going to look at that and they're gonna be like, no, that's a, why would I, why would we, you know, agree to insure businesses here and stuff. Right. So then like the bad neighborhoods and the shitty neighborhoods and the burnt down buildings and all that stuff, that area is just going to grow. Right. And you're only hurting yourselves. And a lot of times, I feel like a lot of people weren't doing it for the movement. I think they were just taking advantage of the situation. You know, they can go out there, they can steal, and they can do all that kind of stuff. 
I think between the riding and just having an excuse to riding was a huge issue for people just to go do it. And I also think that the media made it cool for you to be part of it. I, I think, oh, yeah. That, I think that, like, and what was crazy is with all the riots and everything going on, was it was ridiculously a high number, a percentage of people that was there was just high, our college kids that were Caucasian. And it was just yes. like, it was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Like, this isn't the 1960s in the civil rights movement. I am a huge fan of Martin Luther King and everything that they did during the civil rights movement and all that. But to have people that were supposed to be educated, I'm not, I've got to barely have a high school ass education, but I got common sense. You got common sense. If you listen to people for five minutes that are part of the actual movement of BLM, you realize how full of shit they are. And how they just want, they really want just attention. The One of the people who were uh, in charge of BLM moved to it, just bought like a $2.5 million neighbor, house in a white neighborhood. None of it makes sense, but people are too, they say they're educated and they say they're woke or whatever the fuck that means. But then they end up looking <laughs> like dumbasses. Yeah. And it's, again, it's all, it's, there's a way there's a right way and a wrong way to handle things what is the writing going to do well it brings attention to okay but we there's already attention to it right you're just causing a huge problem and then you know have you ever seen the videos i'm sure you have where like the uh black lives matter people go through like a, a police training course or whatever where they have to like it's like a use of force kind of scenarios yeah. Yeah. and after they're done they're like oh my god you know i yeah i, I get it now you know and it's like yeah because you don't know if that guy's got a knife or what he's going to do. Yeah, it, it amazes me um, because military is pretty much taught the same thing is to what is it? I might say this wrong. So help me out here. Uh, you're not taught to shoot to kill. You're taught to stop the threat. What is it? Yeah, the yeah. Threat? It's shoot to stop. Right. Yeah, there it is. And that's okay. why that's why it drives me nuts when I see these comments that are like, why didn't you shoot him in the leg or shoot the gun in the air or whatever? Use your taser. Number one if you're going to try and shoot them in the leg and that high adrenaline situation, and you're going to have perfect a or aim on their moving leg, you know, and where you, they got an artery that you could hit and kill them anyways. Right. But you know, you could miss and, you know, and you see videos all the time of people that get in gunfights and stuff. And with the adrenaline pumping and stuff, uh, you know, a Glock, it's not going to stop them. Right. No. It, they're going to keep coming. <laughs> and, you know, then they talk about shooting in the air. Why the hell would you shoot in the air? That bullet's going to come down. What if it hits an innocent, like, you know, a couple miles away or however far it goes, right? And then, you know, and again, you're not stopping the threat. And, you know, a taser. What if one of the prongs misses? And then it's it's completely useless. Or what, if, you know, what if it's like they're so hopped up on something, it's not going to affect them. You know, it's I'm going to shoot until they stop doing what they're doing. You know, they're like, oh, my God, that seemed excessive how many times he fired. Well, you put yourself in that situation and like that, that uh, teenage girl that got shot, you know, she's trying to stab that girl in the face. I do not see how there's any arguments in her favor. Mm -hmm. I mean, no offense. I mean, I'm, it's sad. I mean, it really is sad yeah. that that happened and, I, and I, I wish it hadn't happened, but she was getting ready to stab that girl in the face, another African-American girl. And yeah. that, that officer stopped her. Right. I mean, unfortunately it ended the way that it did. But he had no other options. And, well, it, you know, what's he going to do? Go hands-on and then get himself stabbed? Yeah. 
It's funny how the media and then so many people who just don't understand what a police officer goes through daily, they don't look and see that that officer saved a girl's life. They look and see that, that he took a life. And that is yeah. just the biggest load of horse shit ever. Like we could have let, they could have let it go on two seconds longer and then two people would have been dead. They saved a life. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's so ridiculous. And it's, it's something that, I know, I, especially now that I'm not in it, and I learned at a, you know very early not to get into those online fights and stuff because you're not going to win. It don't nope. matter. Your opinion is not going to change anybody's mind. Just let it go. But does it grind my gears? 100%. <laughs> yeah, but it's my, so people have told me time and time again because when I used to love having a debate with someone at the radio station, I would love when someone would call in and – would say something against my opinion because I like to educate them on why I thought what I would do. It wouldn't be arguing. It would just be having a conversation. I realized very quickly that people are just as passionate about their beliefs as I am about mine. And you're probably not going to change my opinion on a lot of stuff. So I need to look at it from those side. I'm not going to change your opinion. I'm still going to think you're a dumbass for believing what you believe in. But at the same time, if I'm not going to change it, then the hell with you. Like, let just let it be. Well, and that's really the freedom that we have in this country is you can believe whatever the hell you want. And I don't have to give a shit about your opinion, no. you know, and that's, and that's, you know, when they talk about freedoms and stuff, yeah, have your opinion. I don't care. I have mine and I don't really care to hear yours necessarily, unless you want to ask me my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, well, let's see that that's the difference in folks like me and you and a whole lot of sensitive ass people is I understand that you might have a difference of opinion of me. The only time I get pissed off is when you say that your opinion is more valuable than my opinion. That is what yeah. pisses me off. Yeah. Right? It, it rubs me the wrong way. Like I'm okay with you thinking whatever you want to think, how you want to raise your kids, you raise your kids how you want to. I will never come up on your page or on your social media or whatever and give you my opinion on, on how you're living your life. I would like the same respect. Like, I don't understand yeah. why people can't be like that. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've got friends that, um, or sorry, I had friends that were really liberal people <laughs> that they, they just don't like, they unfriended me and didn't want to be, you know, have anything to do with me because I supported Trump. Right. Yeah. And then I have friends that they supported the other guy and we're able to have civil conversations and just agree to disagree. And I'm still friends with them. You know, it's, and that's the thing. It's like, why are you getting your panties in a wad over this? It's not that big a deal. I, I think it should be this guy. You think it should be that guy. We have our own reasons for it. There you go, right? What What was the breaking, I guess, the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever to where you wanted to get out of law enforcement? Um, it was just it was just a lot. I mean, honestly, like I said, you know, it was just that constant um, – having to deal with those two knuckleheads. I mean, you know, and like I said, you know, the, the sergeant and the sheriff there, they're not, well, the sergeant's still there, but the sheriff, he's not there anymore, right? The sheriff that's in there currently and his new um, chief deputy, they are like the best dudes. I've heard that they're doing amazing things over there. I wish them nothing but the best, right? Um, but, you know, for example, one day I was, I was working a felony forgery case and, you know, this lady was going around stealing checks and stuff. And she didn't have a permanent house. Well, I finally was able to track her down and find her. Right. So I was, I was on the road by myself 
it was a day shift. I was the only deputy on, but the sergeant and sheriff were working too, right? So I had her in the interrogation room and I was sitting there talking to her and a call came out over the radio for an emergency medical thing and they dispatched the sheriff's department. Well, I'm obviously busy doing this, right? So you would think that they would go handle that, right? Yeah. No, I have the recording on my phone because I was like, I'm going to save this in case I ever need it, um, where you can hear the sheriff go, well, what do you want to eat? Well, we're going to we're going to go get burgers. Hey, we're going to go get burgers. And they they leave. So I had to end up taking her back to where she came from and then hustling to that emergency call. And then I was swamped with calls all the rest of the day. They don't do anything. You know, like one day there was an abandoned car out in the county. And I'd already checked on it. I finally had time to sit down and start doing reports. And my sergeant comes over and says, hey, you need to go check on that car. I said, hey, I already did. Um, it's good till tomorrow, right? The sticker's not up till tomorrow. And he's like, well, the sheriff wants you to go check it again. And I'm like, my word's not good enough. I'm good enough to do this job, but okay, you're not going to trust me on that. So I get out there and I'm almost there. And this is way out in the county. And he calls me and he goes, hey, when you're done with that, you need to hurry back. There's a guy here in the lobby that wants to take a report over stolen cows. Like, Why don't you do it? Right? <laughs> like, and I just got tired of it. And honestly, okay, so um, the way I was able to get out of it was I had this girl that I was talking to. Um, she ended up being nuts. But uh, a girl are. I met on TikTok. Yeah. A girl I met on TikTok. And she kept telling me that I should create an OnlyFans. <laughs> and I, saw, I was like I fucking saw i went to go click on your bio a while ago and i saw it and i laughed my fat ass off well dude yeah so i was like fine i'll do it but i didn't tell anybody i was going to do it i was like i'll see how much money i can make whatever and yeah whatever dude the first i mean after a week i i quit because <laughs> i made i made twenty four thousand dollars the first month yeah yeah. And now here's the, it has went down since then, you know, yeah. it steadily went down because as a dude, you know, I only got one trick, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We don't, but, we don't have many tricks going for us, but, but, a, but a girl, all a girl's got to do is put on something different. And a guy's like, Oh my God, it's different. Let me pay for this, you know? Yeah. And, but I was able to get out of the job and, you know, I was able to get my bills and stuff squared away. I was able to do all this stuff. And honestly, how I quit was, I took a change of clothes, took everything to the office, finished my shift, changed clothes, left everything there and said, see ya, I'm done. Damn. And I mean, I didn't do it in like an asshole way. I didn't say, yeah. no, fuck you or nothing. I just said, I, I just left a note and said, I quit. And that's all it said. And like I said, all of my coworkers, you know, they, they thought maybe I should have put in a two weeks or whatever, but I was like, no, I'm done with it. I, like they threw professional courtesy out the window a long time ago with all the bullshit they pulled you know, and, and again, it would be one thing if I was the only one that noticed it, but everybody noticed it. One day I was working a, a fire um, and this trooper came up and he goes, hey, man, how's it going? I said, oh, you know, living the dream. And he patted me on the back and said, it's almost over, you know, because he knew, you yeah. know, everybody knew. And like I said, I'm still friends with all those guys, you know, uh, for my birthday back in March. You know, I quit in December. My birthday back in March, I went back home and me and a couple of the officers, uh, local officers, we went out and had drinks. Right. And they wanted to hire me back whenever the new sheriff came in in uh, January. Like it wasn't a me problem. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's this dude. When, when you get to that point, I'm all about professional courtesy. But when you get to that point to where you have not received any professional courtesy, then I don't think you have to give any professional courtesy. 
dude, it was, it was so bad. Like, you know, um, I don't know. It was just, it was so bad. And like I said, one day I was off duty and I went in to get barbecue uh, and I was by myself and I saw the sheriff and this, my sergeant was in there. And so it was like one of the city people. And I was like, well, I don't want to be an asshole. So I'll kind of sit next to him, like kind of near him. So I did. And the sheriff goes, what's going on in Mike Miller's world? I'm like, what? And he's like, what's going on in Mike Miller's world? And I said, how should I know? Cause that's my dad, you know? And he goes, you don't know what's going on in your own world. And I'm like, okay, dude, like I've worked here for how long I worked in this jail for how long and you don't even know my, my name. Like I'm over it. <laughs> yeah. I'd have, I'd have been beyond over it. So uh, when you got done with that, you turned into doing uh, the life coaching. Tell us about the life coaching and, uh, you know, make sure you give them the name where they can get in touch with you. Too, dude. <laughs> okay. So if you want to get in touch with my life coaching thing, I don't have a website up yet, but you can go to my Instagram. It's deputy five, four, seven or TikTok, It's deputy five, four, seven. Um, just go in my, uh, the link tree there in my bio and you can sign up for it. Um, how that got started was um, I ended up dating this girl. And, you know, keeping all of her stuff private, obviously. Um, I dated this girl. I thought she was the love of my life, all that kind of stuff, right? And then she broke my heart. And it was the worst pain I'd ever felt. You know, and I'd been in relationships before, but I just didn't understand why it happened. So I was like, there's got to be something like Hitch out there, right? You know, some, somebody that can help me out. And there, there are. You know, I found that relationship coaching and things like that are the thing. And so, I mean, I went on this whole, like, changing my mindset, you know, changing my life, you know, like learning about relationships when I'd be on duty and I wasn't doing anything. I was just on patrol. I'd have podcasts or, you know, YouTube going over the Bluetooth, you know, just listening to lectures and these relationship coaches talking about different things. And, um, it, you know, I was talking, I wasn't, I was so heartbroken, man. I was talking to a relationship coach, like once or twice a day, I spent a lot of money doing that. And, um, I, I realized that it was a light for me when I felt like I was in the darkest place I'd ever been. And I just want to be that for other people. Right. You know, my, my thing is helping people, you know, I want to be a cop to help people. And if I can help people in this way, you know, why not? And it's, you know, I, I, you know, the thing about being a life coach is you don't have to be certified. It's not something that's like regulated. Right. So you, anybody can say that they're a life coach. Well, I started going through the life coaching uh, certification course just because I was like, well, that way it might put people's minds at ease or whatever. And but I had a few friends that are like, dude, these people will listen to you and they want your advice and they follow you, not because you have a certification. It's because they, they like you, they trust you and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, you know what? You're right. So I started it up um, May 3rd and I've already had several clients. And I tell you what, man, I've only had like two clients that all they wanted to do was bitch. They didn't want to hear my advice. All they wanted to do was to hear me say that, you know, yeah, okay, I agree with you. Yeah, you're right. No, I don't play that game. You know, it's like, I'm going to call you out. Like, yes, you are wasting your life. I mean, you're not like, why are you doing this stuff? Like, whatever. But the other clients I've had, you know, I've, I have some that they, they have sessions with me every week now. And when I look at how they were when we first spoke and, you know, and I do it over Zoom session, it's about $45 for an hour. Um, they have just changed completely. You know, some of these people were overweight and they're loose, like they're down like six pant sizes or whatever, you know, like, and they're, they're so much happier with their lives and things. You know, what I kind of need to work on is getting my, my niche kind of narrowed down a little more. Yeah. Um, cause right now it's, it's a little broad. Um, 
you know, and I'm still learning and I still listen to the lectures and stuff and try and find more things to help people, whatever. But you see like, you know, this one girl, she was so nervous when our session started, but now she, we've had multiple sessions and she's enrolled back in school. Right. And she's viewing herself in a different light and realizing that she has all the control in the world over herself. And, you know, our quality of life is all determined by the meaning that we give things, you know, if this thing happened. Okay. Well, what meaning are you giving that? Well, that means I'm not good enough. Says who? Like, you're the one saying that, right? And then if this person said that you're not good enough, what do they know? What, what about them makes them qualified to say that, you know? Or if somebody's like, man, I'm not good enough, you know, for this, that, or the other, I, you know, I have them. I, okay, tell me all your good qualities. And then they start telling, you know, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, are you loyal? Yeah. Are you kind? Yeah. Are you funny? Well, I like to think so. Okay. Are you outgoing? Yeah. Okay. Would you date somebody like that? Yeah. Then why are you saying you're not good enough? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it just, that, that makes me like you uh, even more. We do on Wednesdays here, uh, we call it still writing sessions, but it's for suicide prevention and people who deal with uh, mental health uh, issues, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and all that kind of stuff. We don't uh, record it, monetize it, or anything, but uh, I'm the group leader. And it's just when you have mastered something, not even mastered, when you have a grip, like I have a very good grip on my mental health after being someone who was very bad in depression, who has a suicide attempt uh, over 10 years ago. And um, I believe like what I went through wasn't a failure. It was a learning experience. And then one of the things that I teach the people that, that I teach the people that come in here um, or try to pass on, not teach is the fact that everybody has trauma, but the people who end up being successful in life are the people who define their trauma. They don't let their trauma define them. And it's the people who realize that, Hey, look, some bad stuff happens. Some bad stuff happens to every single person. But if you want to have a better life and you want to go in the right direction, realize that you can either say, Hey, this happened to me and I'm going to sulk in it the rest of my life. Or I can try to find the learning experience that was inside this message and your pain then has a purpose instead of you blaming everything on everybody else or letting something cripple you. And uh, dude, yeah. when, when you get a good grip on that kind of stuff, uh, you with relationships, all the stuff you listen to makes you a fucking guru. The stuff that I've been through makes me a guru. And it's just where we were meant to go through those situations to pass the information along to help others. Bank accounts and shit don't define you. Helping other people at the end of the day is what defines somebody. Yeah, and what and what you put into the universe, you'll get back. I fully believe that. You know, Absolutely. like I, you know, so part of the reason um, that I I donate to like the autism clinics and things um, has to do with the breakup. You know, I'm not gonna get into specifics behind that, but it does. And part of it was because of that, and it caused me to start doing that. You know, and I haven't donated to the autism clinics in a while because I was using all of the gifts I would get on TikTok. Um, all that money and I would just send it all there you know and from like I don't know October to December or whatever we had raised like ten thousand dollars for the local autism clinic there and um, you know my merchandise 50 percent of it at this at this point in time 50 percent of my merchandise goes towards uh, the law enforcement torch run of Missouri which is the Special Olympics and you know and but yeah man all the research I've done and stuff is I can look at you know now when I meet people, I can see 
and kind of figure out their attachment style and how they view relationships based on the shit that they've went through. And I can go, oh, okay, so this person's going to need this. This person's going to need that, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, it's just, it's really handy. I mean, now there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, and I get people that are like pissed off because they think I'm trying to be a therapist. I'm not. And every session I start with, I tell people I'm not a therapist. My advice is my advice. What you choose to do with it, that's on you. That's not on me, whatever. Um, you know, but I listened to like a lot of Tony Robbins. And one of the things he said in one of his lectures was, um, you know, a lot of pain and stuff comes from the perceive uh, that we perceive a loss of some sort, right? So like somebody breaks up with you, right? You feel like, or somebody dies, let's say, for example, somebody dies. Now you have that, that perception of loss. You have lost that connection with that person. You know, they're gone, all that kind of stuff, right? They, you lost them. And that leads to being hurt, which can lead to like anger, sadness or whatever. Right. And so whenever you have anybody that's like angry or sad or snaps at you for no reason, you know, and it sounds kind of like, uh, you know, part of my language, but it sounds kind of like pussy talk where you say, you know, there's a cry for help underneath that, but it's actually true. You know, there's something else going on. And so like, if you got somebody you care about and they're snapping at you and you know, this is not normally how they are. If you snap back at them because you're angry now, because you're hurt, because you have this sense of loss of connection between them or whatever, right? Then you just got two people crying for help and it's not going to go anywhere. But if you come from a place of loving and understanding, then, you know, you can finally get somewhere. And again, it's, it's, it's the perception of loss. It's not, you don't lose anything. It's transmuted into something else. And that's what you're talking about with pain and stuff. You go through something dark. And the pain I went through with the breakup and stuff, man, I, I changed that. And you see people do it all the time when they go to the gym. They're taking that pain and they're transmuting it into something more productive. Exact same thing. Uh, about six years ago, I was engaged. I helped somebody finish college and all this kind of stuff. Thought I was getting married, all this shit. I was like at 330 pounds, dude. Uh, I was completely unhealthy just miserable and all this stuff but i was what i call fappy i was fat and happy because i had the woman i wanted well uh anyway i was in i got cheated on the entire time did not fucking know it until one day she said you are fat and unattractive well when she did this to me when i say it crushed my fat ass it crushed me but i believe it man but (laughs) what it also did to me it made me realize that i was so unhappy that I was projecting my unhappiness onto others. And it was where I started going to the gym. I started eating right. I started doing all these things. And I went from 330 down to 210 in a matter of two or like probably less than two years. And then I've let my weight fluctuate from 210 to 240 probably the past three years. But I'll get happy or I'll get lazy. I'll gain 30 pounds like an ain't shit. And then I'll, and then I'll lose my weight because I start eating the same way again. And I took what ruined me. It, oh my God, it just fucking crushed my fat ass. And I turned it into who I am now. Before I was in radio, I was called the bearded bastard on social media. I had got a big following and everything with Snapchat and all this kind of stuff. And it was just because I was, I was releasing this is the only reason why I like social media. It gave me an outlet to release my pain to where I got to talk about my depression. I got to talk about my weight loss. I got to talk about this separation that damn near killed me. 
and it gave me an outlet. And then all of a sudden, when I put that stuff on social media, which some people are scared of, I will always encourage people to do it because they're scared people are going to be negative towards them. I built a support system off of all the people that were backing me. And it what it did wonders for me. And it, it turned me into who I am today. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's really nice. And, you know, like I said, I talked to all those relationship coaches and stuff, and I'm friends with some of them now, you know, and they've been helping me and they, you know, support me and stuff. And honestly, I've, you know, when you change your vibration to a high vibration, those low vibration people in your life, those toxic people, they're going to fall off. Oh, you know, God, you might, say it again. Dude, you know, and I had... I had this guy that I was friends with in high school and he wasn't very popular in high school, but after high school, for some reason, he and I became friends. He's a funny guy. He would do anything for anybody. So it seemed, and you know, I just enjoyed hanging out with the guy. Right. Well, at one point I found out that his wife was cheating on him and I told him about it. Well, his decision was to kick me to the curb and I was like, okay, whatever. Well, long story short, he, he and I became friends again last summer. And then he just, I mean, ended up being just a bad friend, all this kind of stuff. Right. Well, I just left him in the dust. Right. And I don't have any toxic people in my life right now. They've all just kind of fell off. And it's, it's really nice when you have all the people that you can turn and talk to are people that support you and stuff. And they're not people that are going to be jealous and try and take you down with them. You know what they say, birds of a feather flock together. You know, if you're friends with nine millionaires, won't be long before you're number 10. Exactly. Right. People just don't, man, they don't understand that. And it's where if you're in a toxic situation, if you will just pay attention to the, the vibes and everything else, eventually that toxic situation will take care of itself. You just have to be smart enough that when that toxic starts happening to let it happen, but just don't clap back. Don't do anything. Just let it ride on out. Let it exit your life. You're going to be so much happier and so much better. Uh, whether it's a girlfriend, a job, boyfriend, whatever, if it's that miserable, it's going to see its way out, but you have to just be smart enough to let it see its way out. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, if it wants to leave, let it leave, whatever, you know, and again, yeah. it's that, it's what meaning are you giving to it, yep. right? It's that perception of loss. If you don't see it as a loss, you know, you see people that break up all the time and they seem fine by it because they're not seeing it as a loss, right? Yeah. You know, and then another thing with breakups and stuff, you know, people are like, uh, well, they're, they're already messing around with somebody else. They must never have cared about me. No, that's not it at all. They're in pain and they're trying to cover it up by hitting up with somebody else. You know, you get rebounds and most of the time they last about probably about around three months, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And you know, people are like, Oh, well they must've been seeing them the whole time. No, now they're feeling a sense of relief. And there are times where people monkey branch where, you know, like think of a monkey swinging from branch to branch, they'll grab onto one before they let go of the other. Yeah. And yeah, that's shitty. It's not right, but that's what they're doing. They don't want to be alone with that pain. They don't want to feel it. And a breakup, it's, it's usually not something that happens. Just they didn't wake up one day and just go, ah, I don't want this anymore. It's, right. it's over time they started to feel it. And then all of a sudden, or, you know, it seems all of a sudden to you, they want to break up with you. Well, guess what? It took them a long time to come to that decision and they, they didn't want to do it. It's awkward. They hurt you. It's painful. And so if you try and convince them otherwise, it's probably not going to work. And then they're going to have that relief stage where they're just like, "Woo, I'm glad it's done. And if you don't leave them the fuck alone, you're going to prolong that release stage and you're going to make them end up hating you and be hateful towards you. Whoa, boy, did I do it a couple years ago. 
I do the same. Oh God, damn! Did I do it? I, I after I had uh, the girl had lived with me and I had lost the weight. I had met somebody I very, very much cared about, and everything was perfect. And then one day it wasn't, but you could tell leading it up to it. I just wasn't smart enough to realize what was going on. I was I was blind to it because I cared so much. And the second she broke up with me, oh my God, I overdid it. And looking back at it now, knowing the things that I know that if I would have let this person vent and I would have let this person cool off, then if nothing else in this world, maybe we could have been friends afterwards or maybe it would have worked out in the long run. But I blew up because I was so fucking hurt and I didn't see it coming that I, I acted like a child. You you are going to be the next. I did the same thing. Yeah, you, see, you, I did the same thing because yeah. when this girl broke up with me again, I, it came out of nowhere and there's, there's personal stuff that happened in her life that I won't get into that was pretty traumatic. It'd be traumatic for anybody. And, you know, I, I cared a lot about her. And when we broke up, she said that I was cheating on her, that I was trying to control her, that I was running around on her, that, uh, I was mean to her kid and all this stuff. And it's all, it's all bullshit. And that's why it surprised me. I'm like, no, no, that's true. Like, what are you talking about? But now I'm able to look at it and go, Oh, this is why that happened, right? Because when you, she was so used to being treated like that, to being controlled, to being hurt, to people being a dick to her kid or whatever, that she was looking for it. She was waiting for that other foot to drop. And guess what? I know you know this. If you go looking for something, you're going to find it. Boom. And so she, yep. And like example, if you're, if you're interested in a certain kind of car, all of a sudden you see that everywhere. I've been seeing Teslas everywhere. I'm telling you, because I'm interested in getting one. Yeah. And so she saw things that in her mind meant this was what was happening when in reality it was not, you know, like, um, you know, when she said I was running around on her, okay, you live two hours away from me. I work 12 hour shifts. I sleep and then I work again. And then as soon as I reach my days off, I don't care what time it is. I pack a bag and I drive down to you. When do I have time to do that? Okay. Uh, trying to control you. I was getting ready to move to where you live. I was going to move from my hometown to live where you live for you, you know, and then being mean to your kid, never in my life, you know, like I'd have to be some sort of monster, you know, to do that. And, and, and it was all verified that she knows deep down that it's bullshit because we broke up like a year ago in April, October of last year, she reached out to me. She was pissed off about something, but she ended up calling me back and apologizing and then she ended up saying that I could visit her kids sometime. And everyone I've asked, if I was mean to your kid, would you let me visit them? No. Nope. Not no way in hell. Not a so she knows it's bullshit. And, you know, the last time, the last conversation we had, um, we had actually, she had actually agreed to go on a date with me, but then she bailed on it for whatever reason. And she ended up saying that she didn't confirm it, but she had. And, but I was like, <laughs> okay, no, not a big deal. Like, fine. If you want to do it again sometime, let me know. Well, I ended up telling her like, hey, look, I just want to let you know, I do still have feelings for you. You know, you don't have to respond to this message. Like the whole point of it is just to get it off my chest because it's something I'm holding on to. Um, I've been doing a lot of work on myself and stuff. I think we could have something really special. Um, if you feel this way, let me know. And like I said, you don't have to respond back to it. Oh my God, dude. She responded back so negatively saying that I was, she's like, all I heard in that was you, you, you. And you didn't once mention my kid. And I'm like, first of all, you know how much your kid means to me based on all the stuff I do, all the money I raise. And, you know, the fact that I reached out for her birthday and all that kind of stuff, you know, 
and you know and then I didn't deserve that you know and then she started going on about how much of a piece of shit I am again and I'm like and I just left it I'm like I'm done (laughs) but that that's what everybody does one thing it fucking blows my mind. Look, we you seem like the type of guy that's never said that he's perfect. Never even tried to admit oh, to no. be perfect or whatever, right? The second, Dude, and, I, and like I think I told you earlier, like I don't see myself as hot yeah. shit. So I don't understand yeah. why, you know, people, I get the reactions yeah. I do. The second people see us growing, especially our past relationships to where we actually have growth, maturity, like they lose their shit. And all of a sudden we're pieces of shit. Because we're maturing, because we have a different mindset. I was not a great person six, seven years ago, especially when it comes to relationships. Now I know exactly what I want, not settling for less. And the same mindset you have towards it, same mindset I have towards it. And the second anybody thinks differently, we're pieces of shit because they can't Mm -hmm. keep up and they don't know what to do. Because a lot of people aren't going to say this. They like the toxic version of you or the toxic version of me better because it's more fucking controllable than just having growth and being a better person. Yeah. And like I said, you know, see, because what it all boils down to is, are, are you familiar with attachment theory and attachment styles? Probably not. Or I don't know what it is by, by name. <clears throat> okay. So basically when you're a kid, I mean a baby, this is when this stuff starts taking effect and there's like four of them. You've got anxious, preoccupied, you've got dismissive, avoidant, you've got fearful, avoidant, and you have secure, right? So everyone wants to be secure. And that's what everybody wants to be. You know, you're secure with yourself. You understand that, you know, you love yourself and, you know, nothing can rock your boat essentially, right? But an anxious, preoccupied person is where one of your caregivers growing up was inconsistent in your life, which was my deal. My dad wasn't always there in my life right so what you do is you get these subconscious core wounds around being not good enough around being abandoned right and so when it comes to relationships you love love you tend to overgive you know and overshare and whenever somebody wants to leave you're like oh shit my you know you feel that pain immediately and you're like oh no because all of a sudden your worst fear is realized, you know, you aren't good enough. You're a piece of shit, you know, you're going to be abandoned. And so you try and do everything you can to fix it and get them back. And that's what I did. Right. You know, it's like, no, I can fix this. Like, just let me try, you know? And, but each, each one also comes with self-sabotaging behaviors. Like an anxious preoccupied might seek validation outside of the relationship, right? Because they don't feel like they're good enough and they might not consciously know that's why they're doing it, but it's, you know, oh, well, if all these people think I'm good enough, then I'm good enough, right? And it adds to their, their perception of their self-worth. Uh, dismissive avoidant is somebody who they're, they weren't really allowed to show their emotions when they were growing up, right? They were very, their parents, their caregivers were very emotionally closed off. So they're really good at repressing emotions, right? They're the kind of people that are like, I don't need nobody, whatever, and that kind of thing. Well, a fearful avoidant is somebody that one or more of their caregivers, and it could be a spouse, um, was abusive towards them in any way, shape, or form, right? And so what that leads to is they have wounds around, like, being betrayed, being controlled. Um, They become hypervigilant because that's how they had to survive, right? You know, on tone of voice and all that kind of stuff. They become detectives. If you leave a hole in the story, they're going to figure it out, right? Whether it's true or not, they're going to piece it together till it makes sense to them. 
And so at the beginning, they're going to seem like an anxious person. They're going to be loving and caring, and they're probably going to have anxiety and maybe a little bit of depression, whatever. They're going to just be like, oh, my God, you know, awesome, right? Well, then if they get triggered because they have this hidden minefield of triggers, right, that the person that they're dating doesn't know about. And when you trigger one, all of those wounds get triggered and it's all of the past emotion com and combined with what's happening right now and so their their level goes from like a normal person might be angry on like a level five they're going to be at a level 10 and they're going to shut down and that's when their dismissive side shows up and that's what my ex had i mean i don't want to put her in a box but it fits her completely she went through some shit and everything was great and then all of a sudden i triggered her with my own self-sabotaging behavior you know i was you know, using TikTok and stuff for outside validation and all that kind of stuff. And she took that as I was messing around on her. I had to be right. Yeah. And that learned that turned into me being controlling and like, oh, and then that means he must also be a dick to my kid and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so she didn't want nothing to do with me. And I realize that now. And now I can look at other people and they tell me about their lives, you know, like how it was with their parents growing up and stuff. And I go, oh, OK, I kind of see. I see, you know, I see where you're at. So. Well, man, it's just something that can be really beneficial to learn about. Uh, well, I'm definitely going to have to look into it. Dude, you uh, you, you beat my expectations on this. Um, you are going to be a fucking hell of a life coach. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> tell everybody real quick before we get up off here where they can find you on social media in case they don't know who you are, which I got a feeling most of them are going to. Okay. It's Deputy 547. It's on one word, Deputy 547. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram. Um, yeah, I've got about, at the time of this, I got about 600,000 followers on TikTok, about 68,000 on Instagram. Um, you know, my videos are mainly a mix between, well, anything. You know, I've got thirst straps thrown in there. I got goofy stuff. I got inspirational stuff, advice, my own thoughts, whatever. Um, you know, and if you want to sign up for a coaching session with me, you know, like I said, a lot of people, when they sign up with me, they say that they're nervous and they were skeptical about doing it, but then they sign up for more sessions, you know, and I can't help everybody. I'm not a therapist. If you got serious mental issues, you know, you're probably going to need to go see a therapist for that, you know, or whatever. But if you need help with like your relationships or like a breakup and you want to try and get your ex back or whatever, just become the best version of you that you can be and you want help getting rid of those limiting beliefs and finding out who you really are underneath, then sign up with me. The links are in on my TikTok. That's on my Instagram. You just click on that, go there. Um, also, if you're interested in seeing my OnlyFans, that's on there too. But <laughs> God, I, hate, I hate you motherfuckers at OnlyFans, but I get it. <laughs> I should, the good Lord said nope when he was making me. He knew OnlyFans was going to come around one day, and ain't nobody paying to see this shit. Well, like I said, I'm not built like a Greek god or anything, but I'm doing okay on there. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad you are. Some of us are deprived a little bit. But uh Hey, there's there's something for everybody on there, man. So don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw that people were buying your poster and stuff, so why not give it a shot? <laughs> uh no, I'm good. Um <laughs> I don't knock anybody that does it. I've had people that have came in here that have literally in the past year made a million dollars off of it. I get it. My only thing with it, and it seems like it's exactly what you're doing, is some people I feel like treat it like it's a full-time job. And I feel like it oh, should yeah. be, I feel like it should be a side hustle. I feel like it should be a means to an end. I feel like 
uh, if it's a way for you to get your life coaching business, you know, the way you want it to be, fucking do it. Or do it as long as you want to do it. What I feel bad for is people, and you know this just as good as I do, there's a lot of people that are making them that don't make $100 a week, don't make $100 a month, and then they're doing it because they're struggling in life. And then they end right. up having stuff out there of them that they're going to regret later on. I don't think you or anybody else that has done my show that has a successful one will ever regret doing it because of the amount of money you've made and how it has helped right. your life. What I don't like about it is I'm scared that there's going to be some people that are doing it out of necessity um, because everything's yeah. oh, going. And that's, that's 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, right now, because my, my coaching business is so new, I'm doing it out of necessity right now. My, yeah. The goal is to get out of doing it completely. Um, you know, and another thing is, you know, I get a lot of people, I think they're leaving because I'm not on there making porn. You know what I mean? <laughs> and because I'm not, you know, I don't have any videos like that or anything. And I'm just like, I, I'm not going to do that, you know? And yeah. so it's like I said, you know, I went from making really good money from the start to now I make a, just like a couple grand a month, you know, it's helping pay my bills. It's helping me get from A to B, you know, money's a little tight right now, but I know that, you know, everything's going to be picking up here. You know, when my coaching stuff takes off the way it needs to, I got a lot of irons in the fire. You know, I promote ketones and uh, all these other different things. You know, I started painting and for whatever reason, people are buying my paints, my paintings when I do them. Like I, I, I got a lot of different ways to make money. I might, so. I might have to get you to, to do one for our studio. I didn't know you did paintings. Yeah, um, I just started, honestly, and uh, I, the first one I did, um, there's a girl, uh, my girlfriend, um, I, uh, she was on a TikTok live, and I walked by and I showed it to her, and somebody on the live was like, I'll buy that. Oh, that's cool. And so I was like, cool. And then I did another one, and somebody's like, I'll buy that. And I'm like, oh, awesome, right? So. Well, man, you, uh, I, I'll you're go ahead and tell you, you're, you're going to be successful. Something else you need to think about doing. Um, I do my best to pay it forward. Like, I've got a lot of experience between radio and, and doing this now. You would be very good at having your own show. You, the, you, you're very knowledgeable. Um, if you would be interested in it or whatever, I, I can give you some advice and stuff on it. But I think you doing your own show once or twice a month or a couple times a month, I think you would do very good at it. I, I'd thought about doing it before, but I posted a thing on Instagram like, hey, if me and a buddy started a podcast, who would listen to it? And, you know, I got mixed reviews. You know, there's a lot of yeses, but there's some no's on there. And I'm like, why are you following me if yeah. you're going to say no? No offense. but <laughs> Podcasts are the hardest thing to get going. But what's great about them is once you get your fan base, they're there every week. To be successful in doing podcasts, to be in the top 1% in the world out of like 3 million plus, you have to get 3,600 downloads per episode. Like me, I don't have half the following you got. I average about 4,500 an episode. You just have to have different people on, different walks of life. You have to know when to debate with somebody you have to know when to open up like is this part of being a host but you being you know already doing the uh your life coaching stuff you already do that so mm. in my mind it's very hard to get going but uh once you get it going dude i mean it's a it's a breeze from there you just you have to be you when we started off this podcast we started about this talking about you being real that's why you've built up the fan base you have 
It's the same thing with this. Nobody wants to hear the fake shit anymore. Everybody's tired yeah. of it. Everybody's tired of it. Yeah, you see, like I said, you know, I see people on TikTok or whatever that are a lot better looking than me or whatever, but they're just they're just being fake, you know. And they they have that feel that they're fake or whatever, and I have more followers than them, and I don't get it, you know. And it makes me kind of smile when I'm like, <laughs> like that dude's a lot better looking than me, but you know, nobody's like. You know, because he's not bringing any sustenance to anything, yeah. you know? <laughs> There's too many people, and the only thing I'll contribute to TikTok being so awesome is the fact that they have showed people like me and you, we don't have to be fucking tens. We don't have to be fucking ripped up or whatever. We just got to be us. And when you're real and you actually have a brain and you have a sense of humor and you're able to have a conversation, it has showed that we are – uh we're cool again. You don't have to just be a fucking Greek God. You don't have to look like Thor for people to like you. And yeah, it, we're entertaining. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah. And you know, like, I mean, I'm not always the, the most quick witted guy, you know, sometimes I have to sit there and ponder for a minute before, it, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, and I'm not, you know, I don't follow politics that well, you know, it's like, I know what I agree with, what I don't agree yeah. with, you know, all that kind of stuff, whatever. But yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely being real and just like, you know, and one thing I learned when I was a cop was, you know, if I don't know something, well, here, here's my card. I'll let you know when I find out, you know, it's like you don't have to know everything right then and there. Right. And and the biggest thing is, especially in arguments is, man, I don't know enough about this to have an opinion. So I'm just going to not say nothing. <laughs> you are an extremely smart man. Well, dude, I appreciate you being on this show and uh Man, I, I think you're genuine. I think you're cool. Folks, go give this man a follow. Go look up his life coaching. Uh, he's a real deal. Thanks for taking time out of this, dude. Oh, dude, I, I really appreciate it. I was so surprised when you asked me to come on. Um, I'm really glad I did it, though. So I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cool. Well, folks, y'all make sure y'all download this episode and all the other episodes. Go look him up on social media and thank each and every one of y'all for listening to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey. We will catch y'all next time.